Ahoy authors! You're listening to The Writership Podcast, a show focused on helping indie authors master self-editing skills. So come aboard and get ready to find the treasure in your manuscript with hosts Leslie Watts and Clark Chamberlain. Welcome to episode 96 of The Writership Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about prologues. I'm Leslie Watts, and standing in for Clark Chamberlain today is Jody T. Morse, author, poet, member of the Writership Crew, and the person who keeps me out of trouble. To to learn more about the podcast, visit writership.com slash podcast. And as you know, the Writership Podcast is brought to you by the good folks at Author Marketing Club, home of the new and improved Amazon Reviewer Grabber Tool. You know you need high-quality reviews for your books, so you should use the AMC Reviewer Grabber Tool to quickly and easily locate reviewers that are ready, willing, and able to review your books for you. Become a premium member of AMC now by visiting www.authormarketingclub.com and get instant access to this tool and more. Hey, Jody! welcome. Hey, Leslie, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. I appreciate your jumping in. Clark is uh, having a lot of a lot of stuff just happening this week, and we didn't want to miss another week because we've had uh, some gaps, and we didn't want to do that. So Jody agreed to jump in and help us out. So welcome. And, yeah, you know, it's a great time to have you on because we've had the our our other team member, Liz, has been working hard behind the scenes oh. on the website. And so mm-hmm. it's really it's got a it's getting a, a makeover. It's or it's had a makeover, some <laughs> subtle and, and lovely changes. So if you haven't looked at been over there and looked at it lately, go take a peek. Uh, yes, find, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's really lovely. I love the changes she's made. Uh, and it's got oh, it's got review instructions. So if you need if you want to leave a review, and it's been tricky, or you know, you don't know how to like, iTunes can be a bit inscrutable at times. So uh, we have instructions and lots of other goodies. So go check that out at writership.com slash podcast. Excellent. So, Well, are we ready for our quote of the week? Yeah, we're going to do that (laughs) even though Clark's not here. I know. <laughs> Sorry, Clark. <laughs> it won't be as great as you, but I'll uh, I'll do my best. <laughs> so our quote this week is from Janice Hardy. She says, "Prologues are often filled with setup, backstory, and info dumping because we're still processing information in our heads. We know we need that information at some point, but most of the time we don't need to let readers know that information before the story even starts." Using what we learn from the prologue enables us to craft a better story and lay the hints and groundwork that will hook a reader and make them ready for us to spill the beans. Spill the beans. Spill the beans. I love that. (laughs) So I think this is, you know, this is a really good point. And one of the things that, that I think she's saying here is that we 
you know, we write a prologue, we dump a bunch of stuff in, you know, information, okay, reader needs to know this, reader needs to know this. And sometimes when we start with the prologue, we are still figuring out the story, you know, in the early drafts, we're still, as I say, figuring out the story, finding out where it should start, we can't know that for certain, when we go into it. So sometimes we write a prologue, and then you know, and then get on with the rest of the story. And then it's always good. You know, I would never say in your early drafts, don't, don't write a prologue, go ahead and write your prologue. And then just, you know, go back afterward and, and look at it. And, and we'll talk about some considerations for that. um, As you, you know, when you revise. Yeah, prologues are such a funny thing that it, um, they they kind of go in and out of trend, I think, in and out of vogue um, with writing. And so, uh, you know, currently a lot of writers and editors are saying, oh, prologues are bad, you know, <laughs> don't do prologues. But I think when, I, I think it's not that they shouldn't, no one should do prologues, but when you do a prologue that it has to be crafted very well and have to have, has to have great purpose and mm-hmm. stay focused and, and hook that reader because now it becomes the first thing the reader reads, not the first line of the first chapter. Mm-hmm. So it it has to has to do that work of, of hooking the reader and keeping them engaged and ready to to turn the next page, uh, rather than it being just one massive backstory of things that the author thinks the reader might need to know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which well, happens sometimes. It's mm-hmm. funny because because Elmore Leonard in his famous list of of. 10 his 10 rules uh he says avoid prologues but he goes on to say there's a really great one that steinbeck does and and what what he's really saying is that it's you know it's it's kind of it's hard to do well i don't i think also he's saying i don't know exactly how to tell you how to do it well but here's an example of one that i think is good and and that's the point, sure. and and that's that's what this week's blog uh, blog post rather is about. Mm-hmm. Um, in the captain's blog mm-hmm. is about like you know sorting through this advice and and when do you break the rules and when do you follow them because these are rules are really just general guidelines uh, mm-hmm. to ha- you know and that certain things are hard to do well especially in the beginning. So, sure. all right. Sure. Well, we sure. should probably get to the get to the heart of this our submission I think for the we week. should yeah so our submission this week uh, comes from author Noah Duker and the title is Forgotten December it's not yet published it is steampunk at about 80,000 words and today we're going to hear the prologue wait what the prologue <laughs> yes the pro- I know what <laughs> Such a surprise. (laughs) We didn't hint and lead up at all. (laughs) (laughs) No foreshadowing. Okay. So from Forgotten December, here is the prologue. Focus. Don't miss a thing. Your family needs this. They are depending upon you. Erwin Halliday was hunched over a worn oak work table in his basement laboratory and spying with sharp focus through a polished brass microscope. 
Beads of sweat dotted his forehead as he examined a small lavender fragment of crystalline aether being heated from below by a complicated oil lamp jetting a steady orange flame. He was wrapped in the whirring and clanking of the many iron and brass aetherwork inventions that crowded his workspace. The sound echoed off the exposed metal ducts, swelled inside his head, and pushed aside the chaotic noise of his too keen intellect. This symphony of artifice allowed him to concentrate on the task at hand observing the structural changes of the aether as a result of applied external heat. A quick rapping at the door cut through the mechanical cacophony and landed unpleasantly in Irwin's ear. He grimaced at the unwelcome disruption and forced out a, You may enter. He replaced wire-framed eyeglasses upon his large nose and tried, without success, to smooth wild auburn hair from his glistening brow in a frustrated effort to make himself presentable. He hated that even in his private laboratory he felt the social pressures of living in the empire. As he turned towards the door, his sour expression softened when his eyes fell upon his demure wife, Ada. He absorbed her delicate features, framed in dancing brown curls, as she glided past the sturdy iron-belted door in his favorite mint-green bodice and skirt. She was holding a large silver platter upon which sat his usual working lunch of roast meat with bread as well as a quite unusual ivory envelope. He raised an eyebrow as his gaze settled on the curious correspondence. I decided to give poor Golly a slight reprieve today and bring you lunch myself, beamed Ada. Erwin noticed a nervous cadence in her speech, as abnormal as her bringing his lunch in person. He pulled a small hand towel from the front of his leather apron and mechanically wiped his hands as he followed her to the imposing desk that loomed in the far corner next to a squat iron aether boiler. She hummed a lilting tune as she gambled forward, which he recognized as a particular favorite of their young son, Rates. Something surely has happened for her to be acting so... Could it be the letter? Ada cleared a space amidst the meticulous technical drawings and hurried notes which lived on Irwin's desk and placed the platter in the center with care. In a complete reversal of manners, she grasped the sides of the great calfskin chair behind the desk, pulled it backwards, and beckoned for him to sit. Irwin must have let his confusion creep into his expression because Ada flashed a reassuring smile as he lowered himself into his chair. As Ada floated around and in front of him, Irwin stammered, To what do I owe this privilege? I just thought today was a fine day to break with routine. Her words were sweet despite their interruption. Sometimes it is great fun to do something 
unexpected. She over-enunciated the word through a wide grin, like a bit player foreshadowing the obvious turn of a script. Irwin sifted through his memory for some significance to the day's date as he folded back the cuffs of his pressed cotton shirt. However, no matter how hard he searched, he found himself unable to look past the mysterious letter intruding upon his lunch. Well, you certainly have my gratitude for this pleasant departure from routine, Irwin said as he eyed the immaculate ivory envelope with a furrowed brow. He found it was marked with elegant script, addressing it to Dr. Irwin Helliday. Whoever penned his name betrayed their formal and no doubt expensive education with the many looping flourishes that embellished the beginning and end of each word. As he scrutinized the finer details of the letters, he suddenly felt Ada's burning gaze upon him. He looked up to find an expression upon Ada's face, both affronted and expectant. Embarrassed, his face flushed hot and red as he cleared his throat, faced her squarely, and politely leaned forward. My apologies, dear. I do appreciate this occasion. Please tell me what wonders have filled your morning. I took a carriage to town this morning to see the surgeon about how cleric I've been lately. And darling, oh, he had the most splendid news. Ada gushed as she rushed up to the desk, clasping her hands to her chest like a girl half her age. I am with child again, darling. Ada's sparkling amber eyes could no longer dam their waters. Both tears and hands fell until her slender fingers cradled her still svelte stomach. Erwin was at once elated and terrified. He sat there for a moment, mouth agape, trying to summon the strength to present a brave face to his beloved. After a short dense silence, he assembled a warm smile and rose from his chair. Come here, dear. Let me hold the mother of my, my children. Ada fell into his arms and buried her face into his chest. She heaved and cried and squeezed him with an almost selfish intensity. Erwin, I'm so happy. Her breath was a warm, comforting blanket for his hidden anxiety. He tangled a hand in her deep brown curls, nestled his chin on top of her head, and closed his eyes as he savored her delicate perfume. They stood there for a time, swaying side to side in each other's arms. The intimacy of the moment was spoiled by a feeling as though he was being watched. Irwin opened his eyes and found that his gaze was pulled once again to the ivory envelope. As though she could sense his inattention, Ada shifted in his arms and pushed herself backwards. He snapped his head down and managed to avoid being caught. That's not the only news the surgeon had for me, Ada said. He told me that based upon my symptoms, he felt as though I was carrying a girl. Isn't that wonderful news, darling? Rates will have a sister. Our family will be complete. 
A girl? Erwin questioned aloud. Can he really be so certain this early? I'm sure he couldn't convince you, my darling husband, but when he said it, I felt something stirring deep inside that told me he was right. You may not trust his intuition, but I would think by now you would know to trust your wife. Well, you seem to have this all figured out, dear. Have you settled on a name as well? She looked down and framed her stomach with her hands. December, she said with a smile. All the way home, I tried to think of a name, but she has a name, and she told me. It's December. December. I've never heard anything like that, like it, but there is a pleasing softness to it. I wonder who she'll take after. Rates certainly took after his mother, both in appearance and demeanor. Wouldn't it be something if she took after me? Well, we could spend long hours in the laboratory together. I would teach her everything about the aether work and machinery. Surely it would be out of the ordinary for a girl to pursue such experience, but... Irwin's thoughts built a broad smile upon his face. I haven't told rates yet, darling. I'll leave you to your work for now. Perhaps we could share the good news with him at supper? Of course, dear. Don't you be doing any more of Golly's work, though. You mustn't overextend yourself. Ada smiled, nodded in affirmation, and pulled herself to Irwin one final time before kissing him on the cheek and gliding out of the laboratory. Erwin's eyes followed her until she had almost disappeared into the hall and then cut back to the ivory envelope. The envelope had a dense gravity that smothered the sounds of the laboratory. It reached out towards Erwin, tugged him off balance, and then towards the desk. He snatched up the envelope and turned it in his hand a few times before he reached into a small drawer and groped among the disor disorganized contents until his hand found a slender opener, letter opener. He sliced through the top fold of the envelope with precision and revealed a sharp, creased, beige letter. He, he discarded the envelope and opener, then unfolded the correspondence with care not to smudge any of the lettering. His hands began to tremble as he read its contents. Dr. Helliday, your recent evaluation by the Ministry of Silence was unsatisfactory. I would be remiss if I failed to remind you that as a state scientist, you are expected to present tangible advancements in your research at each evaluation to retain sponsorship at your current rate. Your last few evaluations have fallen below previously established expectations. Were it not for your previous successes, you may well have been dismissed already. Regardless, I am sure these disappointments are an anomaly and you will return in brilliant form for your next evaluation. I expect great things from you. Please give my regards to your darling family. Siegfried Foss, Minister of Science. A cold wave of panic washed over him. His mind wandered from the present to a hazy vision of the future. His wife and children crouched in the corner of a dirt-floored hovel. 
their malnourished bodies pressed together for warmth. The incessant cries of a newborn girl grated against his nerves and reverberated in his mind until they folded into the clatter of the laboratory. The nightmare haunted him for a while before receding into an inky vapor. He stood alone, the clanking and whirring of his many experiments no longer giving him no longer gave him comfort. They now roared in his ears like a screaming choleric child. His knees buckled under the full weight of fatherhood and he dropped to the floor. Answers answers had always come easy to him but he had no answer for this the neat script on the letter had become smeared by sweat and tears he crumpled the letter in his fist and squeezed it until the ink ran through his fingers and dripped onto the floor i will not fail again i will give them something that will permanently secure my station Okay, that's the mm-hmm. end of our submission. Ew. That was great. Um, I'm so drawn in. I'm so ready to, to know all of the answers. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, what are you going to do, There's so Irwin? much mystery. <laughs> I know, exactly. <laughs> I, yeah, so... no, you know, one of the things I loved about it were the, you know, the, the sprinkled unanswered questions that, that keep me, you know, wanting more. Um, you know, initially in the, in, in the piece, you know, what does the letter say? You know, of course, we find yeah. out by the end of the prologue, but that, you know, caught me, of course. And then, um, you know, later the, the mystery of, you know, him feeling like somebody was watching him. And, um, and then, uh, you know, Golly's work, you know, what is what is Ada do for Golly, you know, <laughs> that he would want her doing this while she's pregnant. Uh, and then the disappointments, ooh, you know, what kind of disappointments have happened? Just there's so much in this that I'm like, okay, I need to know. I need to know. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny because initially I'm a little impatient with Ada because I want to know what's in the envelope. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you're having a kid. Okay. Well, <laughs> you know, which is <laughs> normally not the way I am. But so I think that this is really, it, it does a great job of hooking us obviously mm-hmm. and and sure. we didn't get the big info dump that you often find in a prologue we you know we have some dramatic irony because what i can tell you about what happens in the, in the next chapter mm-hmm. we it's yeah. sometime later and we meet december um mm-hmm. it, it, when you know she's the point of view character who comes in the first chapter and mm-hmm. so presumably December doesn't know what happened in this scene. So we're privy to some information that she won't be aware of. Ah, And so mm -hmm. we have some lovely dramatic irony here. And Mm -hmm. this is, it's, it's interesting. We have an interesting setting. We have, you know, we, we know pretty quickly we're in a, we're in a steampunk world, or at least there are hints of that with mm-hmm. the uh, the whirring and machinery and and that so so we have right. a nice opening good opening mm-hmm. no I, I definitely i could definitely see um everything you know uh the author put me you know put me there you know with 
some of the details, the worn oak, you know, work table, the small lavender fragment, um, those are just lovely to actually put me in the setting, in the moment. Um, I will say that for me, it got a little too much after a while, uh, you know, too many descriptors. Uh, the, there was a section, he replaced wire-framed eyeglasses upon his large nose and tried without success to smooth wild auburn hair from his glistening brow in a frustrated effort to make himself presentable. Um, sometimes I, you know, I as a reader get overloaded. Um, so in a sentence like that, there's so many individual descriptors that it's almost overwhelming for me and, and causes me to slow down my reading which is not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> um, but I would, you know, definitely take a look at, at keeping, you know, some of these because they really add to putting me there. But also seeing if some of those can be, can be thinned out or spread out a little bit um, in order to, to make it a, a, a bit of a smoother read. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's a, there's a lot of really rich description in here. And it's 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 wonderful, but at times it feels a, it's a little distracting. And so, what I would, the, what I recommend is is kind of going through and and thinking of you know like what's what are one or two images that you want the reader to have that the you know in this in this paragraph in the you know in this in the in a you know, in a portion of the, uh, of the scene and what's important. And, and then, and the, I think one of the things that we get, we get a lot of adjectives and, mm-hmm. and I think rather than spelling out exactly things that it's, it's really nice to have a, you know, to present an image with, with the most like the most important detail and then let the reader fill in the rest from their own experience Mm -hmm. or their own imagination like um i remember saying um um to a client who had a he was describing a gym and he described it in exquisite detail but it was more than we really Mm -hmm. needed and so sure i said think about you know, we know what a gym looks like generally. Mm-hmm. We, you know, the a sort of archetypal gym, or <laughs> most people have probably right. seen a gym. And so, what's particular, like what's special about this gym that's different mm-hmm. from perhaps the right. gyms that we have, you know, that we have encountered? What's what's important mm-hmm. about this space? And so, I think the obviously the you know the whirring and clanking and and it's so great to include the uh the sounds in addition to the to what we can mm. see yes and we get the we get a little uh a smell as well when he's mm-hmm. when he's holding ada and and that so we do get some really lovely mm-hmm. extra senses thrown in which is which I think is great and it's so it's wonderful when we augment the visual but but again I I think like just paring it down just a little bit so that it's not so that it doesn't draw too much attention to itself and distract the reader from from the the actual story exactly it's such a fine line to walk to give you know rich 
description so that we as the reader can can really see where we are and who we're looking at. But at the same time, leaving, you know, I think leaving some something to the imagination of the reader, you know, letting the reader fill in some blanks with something that that um, that they can envision that they can kind of add allows your reader to to be a part of the process to be a part of the story and at least I always appreciate that you know <laughs> when I'm reading and so yeah I think uh, I think that's a, a fine line but with yeah. just a little cleanup it would be good but yeah um, another is I fell in love I'm a sucker for characters uh, you know, I, I like character-driven pieces, and I fell in love with Erwin and Ada. I mean, I just love them <laughs> already. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if, you know, in, in five pages, I have I've fallen for them. Uh, you know, Ada just she, well, you know, Erwin from the beginning. I just like him. You know, he just seems like a good man, somebody mm-hmm. that I. You know, would would like to know, and then you know, then of course, lovely, delightful Ada comes in. You know. Please tell me what wonders have filled your morning. Oh, I just like want to pinch her cheeks. <laughs> you know, I just want to want to squeeze her and hug her, and you know, and then um, you know, she's just she's adorable. I would say that the one thing just I and I don't know where I picked up this detail or why, but I was really envisioning them as an older couple. Initially? I don't know if it's some of the. Initially, right in the beginning, you know, I kind of was seeing Erwin, you know, maybe it had to do with his wireframe glasses or or other, um, you know, descriptors that he used or, or words that he used for how he, you know, moved around the space. But I really saw them as an older couple. So then when we find out she's pregnant, it really took me aback. I was like, oh, my gosh. OK, well, but maybe in this in this time, in this place that they're living that's and it's normal to have children at an older age. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why it's such a surprise that she's pregnant because mm-hmm. you know they're older. But it you know, but it may not be that they're an older couple. That was just in my mind. So this is another where you you know the, those details as a reader. I I just saw them as an older um, an older couple. So that's just an interesting just an interesting note on my part. Uh huh. Uh huh. I didn't I didn't pick up on that, but. But it's mm-hmm. uh, it's it's interesting. It's always interesting to hear, you know, like the different the different right. ways. Mm-hmm. Like a, like readers <laughs> bring their their own frame of reference, and so just being sure. mindful of of those kinds of things is is helpful. I think the sure. And when we're distri- describing characters, I think we want to consider what's most important, and and mm-hmm. you know, again we can add a lot of adjectives um, and features to the, when we're describing characters. And my approach is to think about it. It's kind of funny, but think about it like marketing. Mm. And, and mm-hmm. you're like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> so, I'll just go work on this, Leslie. Just, okay, go down the just, rabbit hole. Tell me. Just, yeah. <laughs> Tell me <how>. Bear <laughs> with me just a moment. Okay. So, so people most people don't buy a drill for the features, right? Some okay. people do, I think. Some people are, you know, just love gadgets and that and that's yeah. that's groovy. That's all good. But most people <laughs> buy a drill because of the features of the hole they need to drill. The hole they uh, need to make. Okay. And not, mm-hmm. you know. So so when you're thinking about your characters, I want you to think about the features that are most important about them for the scene that they're in. 
So it's, I think it is important that we know that, that Ada is really lovely and that Erwin is kind of, uh, you know, that he, that he is, oh, where is it? I have this. I pulled out this. This is a really effective description. I thought when Erwin yeah. smooths his wild hair and thinks of, and he thinks about how the social pressures of the empire are invading even his mm. lab, and and so that's mm-hmm. a really that's a lovely way to show us a little about what he looks like because it talks about you know his hair color and hair. and that and he's mm-hmm. smoothing it back. It shows a but it but. But more importantly, it shows us a little bit about the the world in that we have, mm-hmm. you know, that there are certain rules about how you look and and and, and that sort of thing, appearance. Sure. Uh, but mm-hmm. that he it grates on him and he doesn't like it. So that's a really great right. use of of the description and and having it do sure. extra duty. Because it's revealing mm-hmm. character, revealing setting, and also letting us mm-hmm. see what he looks like a little bit. Right, I agree. And, you know, the other thing that I think is done so well regarding character in this is I'm a sucker for character motivation and making sure that the, that the important questions to the character are, mm-hmm. you know, are presented. You know, so Ada, you know, when, you know, announcing she's pregnant, she, you know, wants to know the gender, you mm-hmm. know, and mm-hmm. then it's all about a name, you know, as as someone who's had a child, <laughs> you know, those are key things for, you know, once you find out you're pregnant, gosh, those are really, those are the questions. Those are the most important things, you know, in your mind, you know, and then later, um, you know, at, toward the end, um, when Erwin is, is, has his vision of the future, I mean, you can tell, you know, easily that he is terrified of not being able to provide for his family. Mm-hmm. And which is such a real honest thing that a lot of men, you know, a lot of fathers go through. And so the author has really made these characters deal with, I mean, even in this five page prologue, deal with issues that are relatable and real. To, mm-hmm. to readers mm-hmm. and he's presented them in a, in, a, in a way that is is so great you know I love when he's he does that little um that little flash forward that little you know thought about the vision of, of his children later you know he didn't um did a great job of not just telling us he was afraid for his family mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. <laughs> the other could have just said he was scared for his family and he didn't, he, it paints us this beautiful, you know, well, it's, a, it's not a beautiful, it's a horrible picture, but. <laughs> yeah, he takes it to it, the end of the line. So yes. that's, a, and, and, so once oh. again, that reveals character that, you know, that he didn't just think about, oh, how am I going to, you know, pay the mortgage? He's like, mm-hmm. he takes it to the end of the line. His children are malnourished in the corner of some dark place. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah crying because they're so hungry and yeah so that's really it's an interesting reveal and and we can gauge as we go through the story whether that play you know whether he's reliable in that respect like is that a possibility in this world or is just or is that just the way that he sees Mm -hmm. it He's paranoid and overly tense and right. Is that right. something about his character rather than the actual reality? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. So that gives us an opportunity to talk about like what what goes into an, 
effective prologue. If you don't, you don't want to do yeah. an info dump, right? You don't want to just, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to do a right. ton of world building. You don't, you can't really do the concerning hobbits like, like <laughs> Tolkien did, right. you know, and, and right. to be fair, he was departing from, you know, like he was essentially starting a new genre so so we can forgive him for that and writing in a different time so i'm definitely yeah. not criticizing tolkien <laughs> uh, when Good, I, because we would get a I lot of bad emails right, like from that are, hey fist checking on the i i adore the stories so but what in you know if you're writing today what what do you think about what do you consider for an effective prologue and i was trying to come up with a mnemonic device just because I have so much spare time. No, I don't. But, but I wanted something that would be kind of helpful. So, so if you actually, if you think of something, a better way to do this, anyone out there, then please share it. But I have, it's called Punch Bar. And so we want a, a prologue that punches and meets the bar. So our, the purpose or P, purpose, mm-hmm. Your prologue should have a specific purpose. It's not just because prologues are cool, because, you know, as Elmore Leonard tells us, they aren't cool. Uh, so you want to have, you oh, want to have a purpose. He says avoid them, right? But so have a purpose. Here we're revealing dramatic irony. We are revealing some key information that the, mm-hmm. the point of view character won't have. I, I think, and uh, you know, again, we are we are limited by our structure here a little bit, so I don't know what happens, but I'm pretty sure that that we're getting this because he wants us to see what's happening before the story gets started, and information that December won't have, and we get we get some key information about the world and about what at least Irwin thinks could happen. And the stakes are really clear, I think, in this, mm-hmm. in this opening scene. Um, the, sure. the next letter is, you know, in, is you for urgent. Mm-hmm. The reader mm-hmm. needs to know this information right now. It's not something that you could present later. So it's, you know, it's important. And that's any scene, right? You want to right. save the information to use it in a strategic way rather than mm-hmm. just providing it when you can. Right. I think this is one of the toughest ones to do as an individual. I think this is where, as, as writers, we really have to get a second pair of eyes because it's so hard you as the writer think, oh, well, you know, of course the reader needs to know this. If they don't know this, they're not going to get the ending or whatnot. Um, but then you have a fresh set of eyes look at it and they're like, mm, nope, I really didn't need to know that. <laughs> and so that's where it's, um, you know, in self-editing, we can do that a bit. But sometimes this um, knowing whether this is something that's really urgent for the reader to know right now can help to to get some feedback or, or a second set of eyes on it. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So the the n in punch is for necessary that in other words this is the best way to reveal the information you can't really get it in in another way that's mm-hmm. consistent with the story and then which leads me to c which is consistent so it's consistent in style voice mood 
one of my favorite examples is the is actually from a movie that in Indiana Jones we the wow. the inciting incident happens when he's in a classroom and it's not mm-hmm. very it's not indicative of what happens in the rest of the story. So we get this prologue sure. where Indy is on an adventure that's con- more consistent with the mood and the and the style of what's happening in the rest of the story. But but the point right. of this is that you know consistent with the rest of the story, we have mm-hmm. this the prologue. It shouldn't be a big departure. Mm. Yeah, I had a story once that I was working on where it was the the prologue was very um very beautiful, almost um literary prose. It was just gorgeous. And then then the whole story ended up being like a a funny, comical, almost like Jeff Foxworthy, you know, kind of thing. And I was like Hmm. This prologue is beautiful, but so it doesn't go with the rest of the uh, of the piece. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that consistency is yes is so important because mm-hmm. you're yeah you're you're setting your reader up right from then on mm-hmm. what yeah what to expect and and how to be with the story. So yeah, yeah. So that, the the H in punch is one that you mentioned earlier that we really need mm-hmm. to hook the reader. Um, we talked about that in episode 95 about the components of a compelling hook that you need something you need you need your shiny object you need some (laughs) breadcrumbs to follow and the promise of conflict so that's our punch and then the bar is b brief keep it as short Mm. as possible that's Mm -hmm. you know that's just that's it's standard stuff any scene should be as short as possible and mm-hmm. the A, we should avoid excessive backstory. Mm-hmm. And then R, that it's relevant, that it's directly related to the main story. It's not connected to a subplot or something else. It is directly connected to to the uh. story. And I think the author does a good job in this. You know, you know, mm-hmm. with the caveat, I haven't read the rest of the story, but it looks like there's a good setup for for the story. It's certainly, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, I can see several purposes and and that's a good point that one single purpose may not be enough to to mm. tip the scales. Um if right. you can have your prologue do more than one thing, then I think that, you know, that's oh. that's a if you can do three or four things actually, like that's mm-hmm. your bad, then you know, okay, this is <laughs> This is a, a good use of the reader's time. So, right. and then, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I relate prologues to, in, in some capacity, to flash fiction, um, where, yeah, you're trying to get across, and every word has to do multiple jobs, and every scene has to, to do multiple things so that you can stay with that brevity, but, but do what you need to do. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's yeah. great. So I think, yeah, some of these I wouldn't be able to necessarily tell without reading the rest of the story. But but like I say, I think the author does a really nice job of setting up the story. And we actually have chapter one. We didn't have the time to, to read it on the episode. But but I urge you to go go check out the, the, show, the notes show notes so that mm-hmm. you can see, you know, where where we go from 
from the prologue because then, like I said we have we see December she's our point of view character and it's yeah. really it's interesting so I think that I think it's a good idea to go check that out Yay. of course always <laughs> particularly so in us. addition yes um do you have anything else or is this a, a good time when we're sending people to the website anyway to uh, to send them on to our editorial mission for today? Yeah, we have an editorial mission on <gasps> prologues. What? So, yeah, I know. So <laughs> what I want you to do is subject your prologue to the punch bar. Do you have a specific story-related purpose for including your prologue? Does the reader need this information right away or can it wait? Can you can this be presented in some other way to greater effect? For example, could you include a flashback later? Could you you know could somebody find the letter? Um, could you could a character share similar information? Like perhaps she could run into December could run into Siegfried and and these are just mm -hmm. these are just questions sure. to to ask to you know things to consider. I'm not. As I say, on the face of it, it looks like the it looks like this is a good choice in this particular story. So, mm -hmm. is it is it consistent with the rest of the story? Have you grabbed the reader? And is it as brief as possible to achieve your purpose? Mm -hmm. Have you avoided excessive backstory? And is it directly related to the main story? So yeah. that's the editorial mission. And a reminder: you can go to writership.com slash episodes to sign up for the editorial missions to get them delivered to your inbox. And if you usually listen to the podcast while you're on the go, this is a great solution. So you can remember to do those, to, to do those missions. Right. Yeah. Well, and a, a huge thank you, to, you know, to to Noah Duker for submitting his uh, his piece to us, and thank you so much to you, Leslie, for for letting me come on today and get to play on the Writership Podcast, <laughs> which was has been a dream of mine uh, <laughs> since I started listening. So sorry that Clark um, wasn't available today, but it was a, a joy to get to be with you here today and uh, and do this amazing amazing podcast work. And we do want to remind everybody that the Writership Podcast is brought to you by the good folks at the Author Marketing Club, which you can find at www.authormarketingclub.com. Don't forget, when you become a premium member today, you'll gain access to the new and improved Amazon Reviewer Grabber tool. Okay, and if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. We have those handy instructions on the website now. And if you want to have your five pages reviewed, you can visit writership.com slash submissions. Finally, be sure to check out the book editor show, which Clark hosts yeah, yeah. with Peter Turley. All right, that's it for episode 96. We'll see you next time on the Writership Podcast. Ready for Leslie and Clark to help you find the treasure in your manuscript? Submit your pages to writership.org forward slash podcast.